You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness and kindness to us. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would not simply be uh, a people who um, appreciate Jesus, uh, but a people who uh, worship him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that, that is the name of the class, isn't it? Uh, is Jesus, what is it? Is Jesus, who has a, a bulletin? Admired, that's the word I was looking for. Is Jesus admired or uh, is Jesus to be admired or worshipped? And, um, and this uh, is, is something that I find um, often in conversations that I have with people. Of course, we're doing a series on evangelism uh, in the dean's class this semester. Uh, but the idea of... Um, it's really hard to find anybody to say, you know what, I just hate Jesus. It, 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 you're, it's, you're really hard-pressed uh, to find someone be that exact and that against uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but you begin to talk to them, and uh, some of their ideas around Jesus uh, are, are a departure not only from what um, the, the the Bible says, uh, but as we said last week, a Jesus uh, either of their own making uh, or, uh, or worse yet, um, um, a Jesus that is so uh, totally over and against the Jesus of the Bible uh, that it is a Jesus set against himself. Uh, But uh, it's right to admire Jesus. Uh, I don't want to, to downplay that. And I think that in evangelism, that's one of the great things, that if you have someone who has at least an interest in Jesus and wants to engage in who Jesus uh, is, uh, that's a great conversation to have. Where we tend to go sideways is that we, we don't actually look in the Bible to see uh, who Jesus says He is and what He's come to do. So this morning, I'd like for us to look at John chapter 3, and then we're going to look uh, in the next chapter... John chapter 4, and these stories really uh, talk about one person who admires Jesus and someone else who worships Jesus. And these two people are actually, culturally speaking, diametrically opposed to one another. In the first instance, we have Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night in John chapter 3, and in John chapter 4, we have the Samaritan woman at the well, who has a whole sordid past. So Nicodemus would not be someone who would associate with her, and she would not be someone who associates with him. Uh, not only because they're men and women, which I think is an important distinction to make in Jesus' day and time, and we'll see that when we get to John chapter 4, uh, but, uh, and not just culturally, but also religiously. Uh, you'll see in John chapter 4 that the Samaritans had a syncretistic, mixed-up idea of what they thought faith in God ought to be, and yet what we find is that this woman, who by worldly standards is on the outs with God, by worldly standards, is on the outs with God, or by religious standards, is on the outs with God, and yet she's the one who enters the kingdom of heaven. Where Nicodemus, religiously speaking, is the one who is in with God, by the world standards, is the one who's on the outside looking in. And of course, this is the theme of Jesus' ministry. The the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble. Why? Because this man eats with sinners and tax collectors. 
The sinners and tax collectors tended to respond to Jesus' message in a way that the Pharisees and scribes didn't because Jesus takes religion and turns it on its head. Because the world's idea of religion is, what do I have to do to get to God? Whether that's right living, um, you name it. Uh, or, if you're in my case, it's not so much the good things you do, but the bad things you avoid. That's how I kind of look at it. Uh, so you can say, I'm really not that bad a person, and praise God for the Kardashians, because I can say, you know, hopefully maybe God will grade on a curve, and compared to them, I'm doing really great. But of course, Jesus tells a story about this, doesn't he? Remember the, the, the Pharisee and the that tax collector went up the temple, and what did the Pharisee pray? I'm glad I'm not like that guy. And yet there was the tax collector beating his chest saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I feel like Nick Saban with like the Coca-Cola product placement up here. <laughs> but let's look at John chapter 3. If you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's page 887. Let's actually start at verse 23 in, um, in uh, chapter 2. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If, you, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, we're going to stop. Uh, so right out of the bed, what, what has drawn Nicodemus to Jesus is Jesus' cleansing of the temple in John chapter 2. All right, there are a couple stories where this happens, where Jesus goes into the, um, into the Klingman commons uh, of the temple and uh, takes the tables and overturns them and, and drives people out. And Jesus says, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And the Pharisees love it. They love, finally, finally someone who is willing to actually act on their convictions. 
And so it is that Nicodemus at the Passover comes to Jesus to visit him, to ask, how can we get on board with you? In fact, he has a very specific question. Um, when Jesus says, uh, he says, Rabbi, we, do, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, technically not a question, but Nicodemus is trying to figure out what is my proper, faithful response to who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Now, he's obviously a little bit anxious about it because when does he come to Jesus? At night, not in broad daylight. No one can say, hey, did you see that uh, Nicodemus went into uh, to visit with Jesus and he was in there for two hours? Who knows what, was, what they were talking about? But no, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus comes under the cover of night. And when the lights go out uh, in the ancient world, uh, people go to sleep. That's what they If you were out at night, you were up to no good. I mean, this is the famous um, Lindsey Graham, who's now a U.S. senator from South Carolina, when he was in the House of Representatives uh, once, uh, when he was in the House, uh, was one of the presenters of the impeachment articles during the Bill Clinton thing. And, um, and you could tell that the, the, the House uh, presenters were getting a little bit desperate because somebody asked, you know, why do you think that the president having a phone call at 2 in the morning is such a big deal? And he says, well, I don't know where you're fr- how it is where you're, you're from, but where I'm from, if you're on the phone at 2 in the morning, it's not good. <laughs> well, the same would be true of, I mean, the fact that Nicodemus is, he doesn't want anyone to see or know what he's up to. But he does want to see Jesus and he does want to speak to him. And so he's not belittled for that. But Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter and says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, after Jimmy Carter ran for president, this whole language of born again uh, was confusing for a lot of people because people want to think that, well, there are two categories of Christians. There are normal Christians, and then there are born-again Christians. Normal Christians are normal, and born-again Christians are crazy. But what does Jesus say here? If you are a Christian, you're born again. This is where Paul says to the Corinthians, uh, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been born again. And so Jesus is saying here that if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, if you even want to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. Which, when you read the entirety of the Bible, you understand this is not just a New Testament idea, it's an Old Testament idea of dying to self, of taking off the old clothes and putting on the new. But Nicodemus, even though he's a great teacher of Israel, doesn't understand it. But he engages in the conversation and says, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, we're not going to get into that today, I've done that in the past, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he uses uh, an example of the wind. The wind blows where it wants to blow, and you hear its sound, but you don't don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So everyone who was born of the Spirit, and now Nicodemus is completely lost. What in the world are you talking about? 
And Jesus says, I've tried to explain it to you in an earthly manner about the wind, and you don't understand that. How in the world are you going to possibly understand the, understand the spiritual depth of it? And the reason is because Nicodemus is spiritually blind. He's come to Jesus with certain assumptions, and Jesus is not living up to those assumptions, and he's confused. And then you can only imagine, actually, there, there, there's no more talk from Nicodemus. He completely shuts up and listens because how are you supposed to talk, answer this? And he says, no one has ascended from he- into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What? Nicodemus would have known about uh, the serpent, uh, the bronze serpent uh, in the Old Testament when the, the, the vipers invaded the Israelite camp and they fashioned the serpent and anybody who looked on it was healed after being bitten by the snakes. But this whole idea of the Son of Man, the Son of God being given over to die for the people was a completely alien concept uh, to Nicodemus, but that's because he wasn't properly reading his Old Testament. And he goes on to say, this is Jesus, uh, about, about God loving the world, giving his only son. He comes into the world not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, when is Nicodemus visiting Jesus? At night. Jesus is making a point here. You've come to me at night because you want to hide it, but the things of God can't be hidden. But the problem with the human heart is that all of us are, uh, are predisposed to wanting to walk in the darkness. And it's not until our eyes are open to the light that we're actually able to see Jesus as He is and understand who we are in light of that and understand and appropriate that which He's come to do for us, which is to die for us in our stead. So Nicodemus appreciates Jesus. He admires Jesus. He thinks that Jesus is really uh, a swell guy and that he could learn a lot uh, from Jesus, uh, but, but Jesus takes it too far. Jesus goes too far for him and for so many others, not just in the Bible, but for those of us today. Because what Jesus is talking about is talking about not just uh, a religious lifestyle, but he's talking about a relationship even with the holy God which for Nicodemus thinks is based upon some sort of uh, transaction whereby Nicodemus does the best that he can and God kind of makes up for the rest. And this has crept into our own understanding of, of religion. Uh, we do all, we do the best that we can do and Jesus picks up where we leave off rather than what Jesus says, which is that you can't even make the first step. I've done it all. As Cameron said this morning in a sermon, I pursued you. I've chosen you. John tells us in chapter 1 that if you're going to come into a relationship with God, it's not to be born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Right? It's God that actually opens the eyes of our hearts to be able to see Him uh, as He is. And so, for someone who just simply admires Jesus, you have to put it out there, as Jesus did. I hear what you're saying, Nicodemus, but if you think that you can enter the kingdom of heaven uh, on your own merit, on your own understanding of who you think God is, you've got another thing coming. Jesus tells the parable of the wedding banquet. Remember that? Where... Uh, all these people are invited, and there's one guy who comes in and won't wear the wedding garment. Remember that? And, um, and uh, that person is cast out into utter darkness. And I used to read that parable and think, well, that's not fair. At least the guy showed up. But what we miss is that a wedding garment had been, uh, had been given and... Uh, for this man to wear, and yet he refused it. He said, no, if I'm coming into the party, I'm, I'm coming in as I am. And that's the thing about Christianity is that Christianity doesn't leave us where we are. It does in the sense that our, we understand the depths of our own human sinfulness in the Roman 7 battle that takes place in our own hearts between uh, this righteousness that is given to us uh, through God uh, and this sinfulness that still dwells within us. And so we cry out for rescue when we long for the day when Jesus rescues us completely, whether that's the day we die or the day that He returns. Uh, but nonetheless, we know that we're different and we're new. We're not the same. There's been a change. And as I said last week, sometimes it's very hard for us to identify that change in our own lives. And the moment we probably do start identifying that, we probably want to pump the brakes because that could easily lead to self-righteousness. But the cry of the Christian, this newborn babe, is is the cry for help. It is the cry uh, for nourishment uh, in in the life of, of the believer. And so, on the one hand, we have Nicodemus who admires Jesus and comes to him and yet uh, walks away terribly confused as to who Jesus is and probably confused about who he is too and where he stands in relationship to God. Now, looking at John chapter 4, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, I need to get that job. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob was given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman, that's noon, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I'm just going to, as we move along, totally different. Nicodemus goes looking for Jesus. Is this woman looking for Jesus? No. What is she there to do? Water. And does she, uh, does she interact with him? She does, but who makes the first move? Jesus. Upon arriving at the well, this woman probably went to the other side or just sort of steered clear of Jesus, didn't make eye contact, thought this was really weird. (coughs) And we find out later on, why does this woman come to draw water at noon? Because when do you go to draw water? In the morning. Go to any, any developing nation. 
you line up at the well in the morning. And it's in the morning where it's not so hot. Noon is, is scorching hot where Jesus is. Uh, if it's in the summertime, uh, which actually this would be the springtime because it's not that long after the Passover, but still the hottest point of the day. And, um, but the women come, they draw water, they do the laundry, things like that. And when the women are getting together and doing laundry, what are the things that they talk about? This woman, <laughs> right? This is the woman they talk about. Uh, and we're going to find out why uh, in a minute. Uh, but she basically tries to cast him aside, and she said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Like, just leave me alone. I, I, I've got work to do. I, I need to move on. In fact, I'm here at this time so that I don't have to interact with anyone. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God who it, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, Here's the thing that I struggle with in evangelism is how do you lead into the conversation without it being totally awkward? So this uh, past weekend, we were up in New York City, <clears throat> and Lauren and I and the girls were at this dinner uh, banquet, and I was seated next to a woman, and she basically just told me her life story, and somehow that led to uh, where are you going to be buried when you die? And of course, this woman's daughter, who is also being honored, keeps looking at the mother, and the mother said to me, she keeps looking at me because she's afraid I'm going to say something to embarrass her. And so I continue the conversation, but the whole time I'm, I'm thinking, she's totally teeing me up to tell her about Jesus, and yet I'm still trying to figure out a way to bring Jesus into the conversation without it being totally invasive and off-putting, you know? Because like, she's like, well, I don't know. Her answer was, well, I think I just want to be cremated, and I'm hoping my daughters carry me around whenever they move from place to place to place. And at that point, I sort of said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of the Jesus Christ, get up and walk, right? Something like that. Uh, but of course, uh, it was difficult for me to do that. And so finally, I just plowed in. And I said, you know what? I'm not really worried about where I'm going to be buried, although I think about it, and I do think about my girls. But I'm more concerned about what's going to happen when I die. And, and she went on to explain that she thought that, you know, Jesus was a placebo and, and that, that all of it is met, mixed up. All that to say is that I just kind of barged into the conversation, but that's exactly what Jesus does. And so if we're sitting back waiting for the perfect words to say to have a conversation about Jesus, they're probably never going to come. And if you're like me, you end up walking away from a conversation saying, I blew it. <laughs> Why didn't I just say it? And it's amazing that when you do actually even blunder into the conversation and say, let's talk about Jesus, let's have a real conversation about Him, how receptive they are. And this woman totally just launched in. Now, the thing about it is, is when I was telling Lauren this, she said, did she know what you did for a living? And I said, of course not. I never try to hide it from people. Um, but the thing about it is, and, and I've, I've said this before, um, I'm only wearing this today because I'm exhausted and, and I didn't want to deal with the clergy shirts this morning. Uh, but during the week, I typically just wear a jacket and tie because I found that I have more gospel conversations dressed like this than I do in the collar. Because when I'm wearing the collar, it attracts the people who admire Jesus, who taught, want to talk to me about how super spiritual they are. And the women at the well see me and say, what do you have to do with me? I'm going to go out of my way to avoid you. So Jesus just kind of dives right into it. 
And does the woman say, hey, I've got work to do. I've got to go back. No, she says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So this is much more of a conversation. She's hooked. She's in. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. She's confused, but she's real interested in what Jesus has to say. She's getting deeper and deeper into it. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, this is, a, this is on two different levels. On the one level, she's confused about what Jesus is saying, but she's with him. Like, I don't want to have to come here at noon to get this water, and I never want to be thirsty again. So there's the physical component of it. But I think she's starting to get the spiritual side as well. I want to live a satisfied life. I want to live a life of contentment. But Jesus takes it a step further. It's not just a theological, theological treatise. He gets very personal because he says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now she gets spiritual. Now she tries to deflect with religion. You see, Jesus is saying actually what we need to talk about is you in relation to this God who will give you living water. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. But Jesus won't have it. He brings her along, but Jesus says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming he is he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, the worship that Jesus is talking about is not our gathered worship on Sunday mornings. He's talking about our lives. And our lives are a reflection of what we worship. The Psalms are pretty... Um, exact about this. When talking about idolatry, they, worship, uh, they have eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, they have mouths but do not speak, and those who worship them become like them. You, you become that which you worship, and so worship is not just what happens on Sunday morning. Uh, worship is, is your life. What is your life given over to do? What is your life given over to? A person a thing, whatever that thing is, is your life is going to revolve around it. It's going to become the priority by which everything else is ordered in your life. That's your God. That's what you worship. And the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that you have this very narrow understanding of worship. It's not about Samaria. It's not about Jerusalem. It's about a direct relationship with God the Father that comes through me 
that will transform you and shape you when you give your life over to me. And I'm the one that I'm speaking of. So the disciples come back, and they see this woman, and they marvel, and they said, uh, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Because this is so crazy. So the woman left her water jar, the whole point of going there, and went into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, the funny thing about it is, is that come see a man who told me everything. Everyone in the village is like, well, we can tell you that. That's not terribly supernatural. We know all about you. We know all about your husbands, and, and the man you're with now is, is not even your husband. But verse 39 tells us that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It wasn't Jesus' ability to say, I know all about you. What they found so disarming was Jesus saying to this woman, I know all about you, and I'm not running in the other direction. In fact, I'm pursuing you. I'm seeking you out. I'm loving you. I'm making you my own. I'm taking that which the world believes to be a wretch and making you my treasure. I'm selling everything that I have in order to buy this field that contains you. I'm getting rid of all of my inventory in order to get the pearl of great price that is you. I'm willing to give up my life and to die the death that you deserve in order that you might live and these living waters well up in your soul. This is the upside-down kingdom of God because Nicodemus is the guy that we want in our church. Nicodemus is the guy that the community says, oh, he's, he's tight with God. He has the right relationship with God. And we're the people who look at this woman and say, what a wreck. Like she makes Kim Kardashian look good, right? At least Kim Kardashian is, has confidence and she's out in public. This woman is, is hiding in the light <laughs> by coming to the, the well at, at midday. And yet, God opens her heart to receive the message of the gospel, and her life is changed forever. Now, John doesn't tell us, and then she went home and told the man, we either have to get married or you have to move out. It doesn't say that. Uh, And I don't know exactly how it all worked out, but what we know is that this woman is now different, and that God used her to be one of the first evangelists for the gospel. When she gets in the village, her life has been so transformed that this woman who has been trying to avoid the village for most of her life, who's out at the well at midday, leaves the jar and goes and says, come and see a man who's told me everything that you did. Come and see a man who's told me everything I've done. 
And it's no longer because of what this woman said, but they have come to hear for, theirsel- for themselves and they, can, they come to know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They hear the word and they respond to it. That's the difference. They hear the word and they respond to it. And so in Nicodemus, we have a man who admires Jesus, yet is walking in darkness. But in this woman at the well is a woman who worships him, who gives her life wholly over to him and sees her life transformed to the extent uh, that she has so much confidence, not in her own self, but in the God that saved her, that she can go and boldly proclaim the Savior of the world, even to those who despise her. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray that we would not be a people who simply admire Jesus, uh, but a people who worship Him, that our lives would be wholly given over to Him, and that our lives would reflect that. And Lord, we know that the mark of a Christian is the person who struggles and acknowledges my life is not what it ought to be. But Lord, we pray that this living water, your Holy Spirit that dwells within us, would uh, swell up and overflow, that we might be given over to giving ourselves to you and to telling others, come and see a man who has told me everything about myself and yet loved me and gave his life up for me and saved me. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.